Now I'm on. Good morning. It's great to be here with you guys. Uh, as you will notice, I've got two stands. I need much support today. And uh, for you guys at home who are not able to see everything that is taking place, um, I have the old-fashioned version where I don't need a password to get in to read what I'm going to say. Um, and I also have the original copy in paper. Um, so um, I'm sorry, my prompt is just telling me how I must stand and, and so on. Um, it's really a privilege to be with you this morning and to share with you. Um, thank you so much for uh, even pitching up to come and hear the word of God. And we trust that he will be glorified and he will be lifted up and he will be the one that receives the praise, the glory, and the honor uh, today. So, Father, we do just commend this time to you. We come and we exalt you, our King of kings, our Lord of lords. And we say, Lord, will you have your place here with us today? Um, will you um, uh, be exalted? And Father, we also just remember those that are at the moment uh, stricken with COVID and other uh, ailments. We ask, Lord, that you would have your hand upon them. We pray for uh, a healing touch from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Perhaps I can ask the sound guys to turn the sound down a little bit so that I don't poop all over the show. <laughs> so, we have been so uh, well led by Craig in terms uh, of the uh, um, four books of the Bible that we're going through in terms of Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians. Um, all put together, Colossians dealing with the Christ, and we saw that about uh, seven weeks ago. Um, we've seen uh, the book of Galatians dealing with the cross and the significance of Christ's death on the cross for each of us. Um, we're busy with Ephesians, where the focus is on the church, and uh, Craig last week took us through the introduction, I would call it, um, to the church life, gave us theology about, uh, behind it. He spoke about what Jesus has done from chapter 1, uh, about the family of God from chapter 2, and about God's plan uh, for the world, for the Gentiles, and for Paul, um, who was to be set aside as the apostle to the Gentiles. And we can be part of Paul's ministry to reach the lost. It didn't end with him. It carries on with us now. And then we will be looking at, but not today, we will be looking at Philippians where the cost uh, of uh, the whole thing of being a follower of Christ is set out for us. So the first three chapters of Ephesians are about his story, Christ's story. And they are joined to the second half of Ephesians from chapters 4 to chapter 6 about our story. And it is linked by a word which I battle to find in the, in the NIV version. But in the original stuff, it's there. They are linked by the word, therefore. And so we're going to read together uh, Ephesians 4, 1 to 6 um, from the New King James Version. Uh, and so when the slide comes up on that, 
we will do that. Paul says there, I therefore, the prisoner of Christ. He's not talking about him being the prisoner of Christ. He's saying, I am the prisoner of Christ. Therefore, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called with one hope uh, of your calling, one Lord and one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And so we see there um, Paul putting out to us um, the whole thing This is what I've told you in the first three chapters or in the first half of the book. And he's saying, now, therefore, this is how you should be living out your lives. And so the key verse for us here is in verse 3, where it says we need to be endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. And so from verse 1 through to 16 in chapter 4, Paul talks to us about unity. And it's important for us to understand that unity is not uniformity. Right? There is a vast difference. He's saying we should demonstrate unity, but that does not mean we are all the same. And so with that, with the unity that he talks about, he gives us three important uh, uh, keys to hang on to there. He first of all talks about the grounds for, univer- uh, for, for unity, unity, which is found from verse 4 to 6. And the grounds are this. There is one body, there is one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father. So when we understand what, what has been set out, there is only one thing that we need to focus on. Right? We do not focus on the differences. We do not try and debate about should this happen or should that happen. No, our unity, the basis, the grounds for our unity is that we have one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Those are the grounds that we have. And so he lays the foundation for us with that. And he says, but by the way, God has provided the gifts to bring about unity. And he deals with that uh, in verses 11 to 13 of chapter 4, where he talks about um, we have been given the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. And those are gifts that are given to the church And I hope you understand what the scripture says there. Let me read it to you. In verse 12, it says, To prepare God's people for the works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith. So those gifts are not there to do the work for us. Those gifts are there to equip us, to build us up, to bring us to the point of maturity where unity will be displayed through our lifestyle as a church. That there is the goal, and he's given us the gifts to do this. And he doesn't stop there. He says, so there is growth 
for unity or growth, the growth of unity. And from verse 12 to 16 in chapter 1, Paul deals with us. And he talks about the evidence of spiritual growth. And if you look at the, the uh, uh, from verse 13, it says, Until we reach the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the full measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be in infants tossed back and forth by the waves and be blown here and there for every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. And so we, we see the evidence of the, of the unity, the growth for unity, is this, that there will be Christ-likeness. We, we should every day become more like Christ, more reflecting him, more showing the world what Christ is and who he is and what it means to be a follower of his. We see that also one of the evidences that there's stability. We won't be tossed around backwards and forward by every little scheme that comes our way. We won't think that every little symptom we get is COVID, right? We need to understand, right, that as we mature, there will be stability that comes in our minds, in our thinking, as we walk forward in the Lord. In verse 15, he says that uh, one of the evidences is that there will be truth joined with love, right? So truth can be harsh when there is no love attached to it. We bring truth with, an, with love. We do it because we love each other, not because we want to bring each other down, right? Truth is not there to win a point. Truth there is to build each other up in the faith. And verse 16, he talks about the cooperation that then takes place in terms of as an evidence of the spirit, uh, growth in the spirit. So, so far, Paul has uh, um, laid the foundation. Uh, and in so doing, he states this, the goal is unity. Shall I say it again for us here? The goal is unity. The goal isn't to focus on differences. We focus on the main thing. And that is in Christ, we have unity. So there is an evangelist in the Church of England, um, Bishop J. John. Some of you may have heard him or seen him uh, on videos. He has a, a saying. He, say, he says this. He says, that's all fair and well, but tell me how. Right? We've heard about that. This is what there should be is the unity in the church. And now the question is actually this. So how do we go about this? And so Paul um, very kindly obliges by telling us how we should live lives as followers of Christ. And so from chapter 4.22 to 5.18, it's well known, it's often used at at weddings and, and so on, where Paul talks about the household. Um, and then he talks about the workplace. Um, and so we, we need to, to uh, understand um, what, what Paul is doing. We can change the slide there, I think. Um, and he, he, he tells us 
that as we move towards unity, this is how you do it. And we often focus on you need to take off, put off, stop lying, stop doing this, stop doing the next thing. But Paul doesn't just do that. Paul doesn't just say take off. He actually brings a corresponding action by saying put on. Right? So you take off the old and you put on the new. And then he lists them. And you you can go through the scriptures there. He says, stop lying. How do you do that? Talk the truth. He says, stop being angry. How? By demonstrating peace. If you were stealing, if you were a thief, stop stealing to gain. Right? Stop stealing. Why? Because actually God's your provider and he will enable you to be generous. There will be generosity that replaces the desire for stealing. Stop gossiping. Rather, build each other up by encouraging each other. In all we do and all we say, we should be doing it to build each other up. The, the old life always says, I will get you back. right? And we want to bring revenge. But actually, Paul is saying, no, no, no. It's not about revenge. It's about forgiveness. So I don't know about you. There are many people that battle with forgiveness. Right? It seems to, things seem to linger and stay there. It's like they bear a grudge. Right? So if you'll excuse my language and my using a bit of a pun, the best use for a grudge is to park your car. So we don't come with revenge. We, don't, we come with forgiveness, right? Where there's been promiscuity going place, he says, no, 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 that must stop. We now need to exercise self-control, right? And self-control is so important for us in every facet of our lives, not just in, in promiscuity, but in every aspect of our lives, we need to exercise self-control. And then Paul says um, in, in Ephesians 5, round about 16, 17, 18, he talks about don't be drunk with wine in excess, right? And I remember when I was at theological college, and I'm aging myself now, it goes back probably about 40 years or more, right? We learned about the BMW verse. Remember there used to be a BMW a 5 series, a 518, you remember that? Or was it before your time? Right? So the BMW 518 says, But be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 518. Right? And so remember, when that BM cuts in front of you without an indicator, remember, Ephesians 518, be filled with the Spirit. Right? That's what it's about. When we have taken off, we also need to put on. So, the next few verses uh, in, in Ephesians, from 5.21 through to 6.9, we have the practical examples uh, of how to live out unity in the church. And Paul uses two practical things there for us. You can change the slide, Vanessa. Um, he uses two things. The one he uses is the Christian household, and the second one 
is the workplace, right? Whoever thought that the workplace would be an example of Christian living? So when we look at the Christian households first, right, we see this, right? The key verse is found in verse 21 of Ephesians 5, where it says very clearly, submit to each other. A lot of times we normally start at 5.22 where it says, wives submit. But the preamble to that and the significance of that is found in verse 21, where it says, submit to each other. That there is key for the whole foundation to be laid within the Christian life with Christ as the head of your home. Submit to each other. Then it says, wives Submit to your husbands, right? And there's a long thing there. And so putting it in today's language, right? Wives, submit to your husbands, right? How? By exercising respect to him as unto the Lord. Respect your husband. Allow him as the head of the home, because that's who he is according to what Christ has said through his word, Allow him, as the head of the home, to exercise responsibility, right? So in the submission of the wife is, my darling, I love you, but I'm stepping back and I'm allowing you to lead us. I am submitting to you. It does not mean that you can beat me over the back for everything and I'm just going to be there. No. Submit to him and respect him as to the Lord. So then, husbands, in case you thought that was great, you can get away with it. It says in verse 25 through 28 and in verse 33, husbands, love your wives. And we say, oh, well, that's a walk in the park, isn't it? You know, I love you. I can tell my wife, as I do many times during the course of a day, I love you, my darling, right? However, the crux of loving your wife, is to lay down your life for her. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now that's a bit more difficult, I think, right? So Daphne can close her ears now. She can move her mask to cover the ears and not the nose, right? We have disagreements, Right? More than most people would think. But we have disagreements. The bottom line is that does not stop me from loving her. Right? And it does not stop her from recognizing and submitting to me as the husband as we live our lives as the household of God. Right? There is a mutual thing that comes through the wives submitting and the husbands loving their wives. So children, Paul says, obey and honor your parents in the Lord. Right? Um, And so parents would love to hear that. I was talking to somebody before the service 
who is saying, ah, I have a child in the terrible twos, right? How can we get on and get this thing going? It seems like whatever we say, the child wants the opposite thing, right? If we do what we should do as it carries on, when I get to the parents, which is the next one, the child will learn to obey the parents and honor the parents in the Lord. So parents, how does this affect you? It says don't exasperate your children, right? Now guess what? There are times when your no has to be no and your yes has to be yes. End of story, right? We were talking and I was reminded of when way back in, in, in my youth, I was still at school and we had a neighbor who had a little boy, about a three or four year old, a young, small young boy, right? And he was also one of those that always wanted his own way. And his parents would often say to him, no, N-O, no. And he learned this expression, N-O, yes. You know, and so parents, we mustn't exasperate our children, but we have an obligation to bring them up in a way that honors God and to train them in the way of the Lord. In everything that we do, right, they should be able to follow our example, right? So that expression, don't do as I do, do as I say, should not even exist in the Christian household, right? They should be able to follow our example. Our children should be able to follow our example through our lives and through our teaching of them so that the Lord will receive the glory. Then Paul goes on and he talks about unity or the, 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 the Christian household in the workplace, and so there are two things in, 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 the, in the versions that we read. It talks about slaves and masters. And so I took some poetic license and brought it up to the 21st century and speak about employees and employers. Because we don't often read about here in our context slaves and masters. Am I right? right? So employees, in, inverted, in, in brackets, the slaves – Paul's word for you to demonstrate what the Christian household should be in the workplace, right? So the employees, he says, respect and fear with a pure heart, not being afraid and shaking in your boots, but fear with a pure heart, not only when you are being watched, right? But at all times, we are slaves of Christ doing the will of Christ, and as employees, as we work in our workplace, our employer and our fellow employees should be able to see the difference in how we conduct ourselves in the workplace as employees. And employers, and there are the situations in this church where there are people here that are the employer and have people in this church working for them as the employees, Right? And that doesn't mean husbands and wives. And so the employers, Paul tells us, we need to do the same, right? So what does he mean? 
says we need to obey and respect with a pure heart. We need to do the same. People need to see that same heart, that same attitude in us. Why? Because you have a master in heaven who has no favoritism, and we are all equal before him. Right? So masters and slaves, employers and employees, obey and respect and fear with a pure heart. So, Paul uses these examples of the household and the workplace to illustrate how it should be in the church. So, what does that actually mean? So, the church as the Christian household is this. We learn that we need to submit to Christ who is the head. So, what we do at home We practice in church. We submit to the head. The second thing is that we love each other as Christ loves the church. So that means that when you come and sit in the seat that I normally sit in, I continue to love you. Right? I don't turn around and say move. Right? Because you're sitting where I would like to sit. No, no. Right? I mean, that's a, 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 a silly example. But it brings the point home, right? That we need to love each other as Christ loves the church. Further than that, we need to obey and honor each other. And we need to obey the spiritual parents who train and teach you. Guys, that means that we have a, um, not a hierarchy, Right? Because we do not have a hierarchy in the church other than Christ is the head. But we have people that have been ordained into certain offices, like the elders. We need to submit to them. We need to honor them. We need to obey them. There might well be times when we disagree with them. So what do you do with your disagreement? You put it in your pocket and you obey. Right? That's how it works. That's how we display the unity in the household of God. And the last one is that we need to have a pure heart towards those who are over us. Right? We don't walk around saying, well, I could have done it better. You know, it actually shouldn't even be uh, a featuring in our thought pattern. Right? We need to obey those. So, Here's the crux. As we mature in the Lord and as we grow and the unity comes about, right? Paul gives us a wake-up call. And he says, you are now in the army. Did you know that? Right? You are now in the army. Sooner or later, all Christians find out that the Christian life is a battleground. It's not a playground. Right? We face battles day in and day out. And so in, in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, um, Paul uh, puts out to us that these are the three fronts in which we face battles. The one is that we, the, the, the enemy is the world, right? But the good news is that Christ has overcome the world. In John sixteen thirty eight, we can read about that. The second 
front that we face battles on is the flesh. And my goodness, how we battle with the flesh, right? It's almost more difficult than the world. We can fob the world off, but the flesh is with us at all times, eh? And so the flesh, but Christ overcame the flesh. And according to what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1 through uh, chapter six through uh, one through six, we can read about how how Christ overcame the flesh, and then the third uh, battlefront we have is with the devil. Right, the devil gets so much credit for stuff he has never done because we think we're fighting the devil when actually our battle is with something that's in the world or the battle is with something that's in our flesh, right? But the good news is this, that no matter how you feel about it, the devil has been conquered by Christ. In Ephesians 1, 19 to 23, we can read about it, that Christ overcame the devil. Right? Therefore, we can have unshakable faith in this God whom we serve. He is the most amazing God you could ever hope to meet, to have a relationship with, and to walk with on a daily basis. And so we're in the army, and like most armies, there is equipment that's handled out, handed out. And so we read uh, together in, 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 in chapter 6 from verse 10 through to 18, um, we read there where Paul gives us the equipment. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, uh, against the powers uh, of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God. There's our equipment coming, right? So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, stand. The next slide. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Right. And so we have the armor. Right. The interesting thing about this armor is we are given the weaponry. We are given the armor. But the key to this armor is not every day getting dressed and putting on the armor of God. Right. It is not a spiritual mantra that we put on. Right? But we need to know that when we put on the armor of God, we don't just put on the belt. It's the belt of truth. 
That means that when we put on the belt, we will speak and walk and live in truth. Right? That's what makes it an offensive weapon. They talk about it being defensive. But actually, truth is an offensive thing. And not by offending people, but by bringing, uh, advancing the reality of what the situation actually is. The belt of truth. Then we have the breastplate of righteousness. How should we live? We should live righteously. We should have the righteousness of Christ in us. So that when we have the breastplate on, right, it's the righteousness that actually is at work. And our feet are shod with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Right? And again, I go at length to say that it's got to do with the action that comes about because we have put on the shoes that are the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The same with the helmet of salvation. Right? Because I am saved, I know that I can move from a place of victory because Christ has done it all for me. He's done it all for you. We are victorious. Why? Because of the salvation that we have through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he says, take the sword of the Spirit. And we all know the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. right? But carrying my Bible under my arm every day means zippo means nothing. It's having the word of God in my heart that I'm able to at all times say, Lord, how should I behave in this circumstance? What should I be doing under this attack? And allowing the word of God to bring you what you need to be doing, what you need to be saying, how you should be reacting. Right? So Paul starts this section about you're in the army. He says, um, he starts it with a command when he says, having done everything, stand, right? It's not a request. It's a command. Stand. And the good news is this. He ends the section also with a command when he says, pray in the spirit on all occasions. Again, it's not a request. But everything we face in life, we should be praying in the Spirit before God. We should be coming to our Savior and talking with Him, speaking with Him. There are times when we might know, not know what to say, but the Spirit will be praying on our behalf. We need to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. So with this unshakable faith, um, the next slide, Vanessa. With this unshakable faith, the life above chaos. So the questions that, that Craig asked right at the very beginning of the series, which still stand true now, is how do we cope in this, this season? How do we count in this season? And how do we thrive in this season? Paul says to us, we do this because we are all part of the church. We are all endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. He says, we are to submit to the headship of Christ. And believe me, when we submit to Christ as our Lord, as our Savior, as the, our head, right? We will cope. We will be victorious in every situation. 
And he says to us, we need to be equipped with the full armor of God. We need to have truth, righteousness, readiness with the gospel of peace. We need to walk in our salvation. We need to take up the word of God. When we've got the full armor of God, we are able to cope in the situation. We are able to count in the situation. And we will thrive in the situation. How can I be so confident of this? I am confident because we live in a position of victory. We do not have to come uh, groveling on our knees and saying, Lord, please, will you, please, will you, please, will you, although we do come out of respect, right, before God. But we come and we ask knowing that the victory has already been won. We move from a place of victory, not towards a place of victory. And so Paul Actually, in chapter 3, I think should have been at the end of the, the, uh, the, the, the epistle, um, writes these words, which I will use as we close this morning. Right? Um, Paul says this in Ephesians 3 from verse 14. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom this whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And so, Father, we say thank you for your goodness and your uh, uh, amazing grace that you, through Christ Jesus, enable us to walk in unity. And, Father, we again just honor you, the maker of heaven and earth, our God, the one true God. We declare our love for you, and we say, Lord, will you continue to be gracious to each one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I want to encourage you today as you go from here, walk in his love, and then give it away to all those you come in contact with. God bless you.